0: Ready? Everybody ready? Let's pray before we begin. Lord, thanks again for this morning, for the ability to just be able to get up, Lord, and to be here, and to uh, to live and breathe, and to enjoy your creation, and Lord, to be together and to fellowship, but most of all, to, to worship you. And uh, we're coming this morning in expectation that you're going to do a mighty work here, not just pastor speak or prayer, but Lord, you're the one that can do it. So, We bless your name and honor you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Okay, so turn to Luke 16 and then, hey, anybody here a parent? Raise your hand if you're a parent. You want, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, in fact, I have uh, Calvary Chapel parenting workshop brochure. We want advice on parenting. People want advice on parenting and the Bible has a lot of it. You want me to give you a tip that if you'll do this one thing, your parenting will instantly become better and your children will become healthier in the Lord? You want one tip? Have evening dinner together. Now you say, oh, yeah, okay, well, sure, of course, we have dinner together, but examine it. How much of the events crowd those things out? The statistics say that families that have dinner together do better if you, However you want to say that. Well, that's interesting because it's in the Bible, you know that? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God tells the Israeli parents, the Jewish parents, whatever you're doing, talk to them about me. Talk to them about me. When's a time during the day? Do you get up early with them? A lot of people don't. I'm not so good at that. Dinner conversation makes people feel healthy and secure and safe and loved and heard and stable. And it's an opportunity where you can share the Lord with your kids. You know, in Deuteronomy there, it says whatever you're doing, when you wake up, talk to them about it. When you put them down to sleep, talk to them about it. When you're walking during the day or driving in the car, it didn't say car, but you know what I mean. Talk to them about the Lord, the great things of the Lord. And then find out, you know, what they like and what they don't like. Become an expert in your kids. You know, each one of your kids probably has love language that's different. And so you want to make people healthy, start to establish and don't break evening dinner. Now, why am I going off on that? Because in chapter 14 of Luke through chapter 17, guess what Jesus does? He has dinner conversation with a lot of different people. And Jesus makes it count. I mean, he doesn't just talk about the pirates. Well, that's a waste of time anyway. But anyway, (laughs) he doesn't just talk about the pirates or the weather or how bad this political party is or that political party is. When Jesus goes to a dinner, he provokes in the right way spiritual conversations. I mean, it's incredible. If you turn back to 14, he goes into the house of a ruling Pharisees, the ones who wanted to kill him. He gets invited over to dinner. That's where he is in Luke 16 when we join him. If if you've come here and you haven't heard the preceding messages, you might say, well, what's all this about? I'm trying to give you an orientation. He's at a dinner. And he's been invited by somebody who probably is not in his camp. In fact, his spiritual party is going to be Seeking to kill him, but he takes the invitation because he loves people, he loves even his enemies, and he goes there and he talks to all of them who, who don't like him. The, uh, he talks to them who were invited, he talks to the people because it was probably an outside banquet who are walking through the streets. He talks to them, he talks to the hosts, and these are spiritually provocative conversations. It's not wasted chatter. Oh, man, am I convicted when I hear that. And each one has this, each one of these stories that he's telling to the different people and to the multitudes, each has a different uh, emphasis. Last time in chapter 15, he was talking to tax tax collectors and sinners, the ones who the religious people hated. They wouldn't sit with them. They didn't want to be around him because they thought it contaminated them. But Jesus wants to come, and as he speaks these things, the tax collectors and sinners are drawn to him. Why? Because they see the need for Christ. Religious people, self-righteous people, it just goes right over their head. Well, I do this and I do that. So I'm good, but, you know, it's funny. Like when you share a scripture with somebody, oftentimes they go, oh, that's perfect for so-and-so wait, time out, wait a minute, maybe it's for you <laughs> or for me, <laughs> right? Especially when you uh, uh, share the hard scriptures or read the hard scriptures, you go, you know, a lot of times your mind's going, well, that person needs to read this thing. Well, maybe the Lord's saying something to us. Here he gets to the, into chapter 15, and he gives us these parables, a parable of a lost sheep. That's in chapter 15 at the beginning, one through seven, and it's that one who wanders away from the sheepfold or the herd, and he comes, uh, the, the, the shepherd goes and gets it. So touching, man, that he's a pursuing God who comes after the one who's been wayward or lost, even if it's been their willful falling away, or even if it's you know, carelessness on their part. Here in the human world, somebody falls away or makes mistakes, we write them off. Jesus pursues. Parable of the lost coin. She loses a coin out of her marital marital headband, one of the ten silver coins. She does everything she can to find it. And then we get to the parable of the lost son. You know it. The prodigal son story. We did that last week. But I want you to notice something because it brings us right into Luke 16. In, in the parable of the lost son, you see, there was the guy, the prodigal son, the one who asked Dad for his inheritance before Dad died. How, how classy is that. How insensitive is that? Dad, I know you're going to d- die and you got you know brother's gonna, older brother's going to get two-thirds and I'm, but can I have mine now? Pfft. Anyway, he goes away. Prodigal means wasteful or wasted. He wastes everything. And see, in our culture, we say, "Well, we need a new battery manufacturer." If he wastes, if in our culture, if somebody wastes something, we write them off. There's such a, the father in, in in this story is on the edge of his seat. He's on the edge of his seat. Here, I got it. He's on the edge of his seat, just ready to watch when that guy comes back. upon him because heaven rejoices over those who come back to the Lord but the dad isn't done there the good father there's another son and he represents those self-righteous religious pharisaical people who are always pointing out everybody else and he says man dad I've been with you this whole time and you never gave me a party or gave me a lamb and Dad says goes out you notice the dad goes out to him too by the way and says, son, don't be mad. Everything I've ever had has always been yours. So you have this prodigal son who wasted everything, but comes back, and you have this faithful son. I'm putting quotes around it. Faithful in the sense that he kept working, but not faithful because there was no delight in his heart to work for his dad. Unfaithful that way. The prodigal son wastes treasures. The older son wastes his life. It's about waste and covetousness. The older son's jealous. Dad, why wouldn't you do that for me? Well, Dad's like, you got everything. So you got to realize this is dinner conversation, (laughs) supper. (laughs) And he's going around from people group to people group. And you, if you found yourself today... Coming here, you're now coming to the part where Jesus talks to his followers specifically. Read it. He also said to his disciples, his followers, he's shifting, he's talking to the different people, and he knows that the disciples need something, they need something, and if you're a follower of Christ, you need this. If you're not a follower of Christ, guess what, you need this too, because Jesus is going to talk about money right here, but it ain't really about money. I mean, it is about money, and we'll talk about money here. But really, this is about being a single-minded, worshipful person. Knowing that, listen to this, knowing, here, here's where it comes to everybody. Knowing that Your eternal life is in the balance, and money is one of the indicators that tells you where your eternal life rests. Now, now listen to what I'm saying. Whether you give, you know, 500 bucks in that box back there during the year or 5,000 bucks, that's not the indicator of whether you're saved or not, except for Because that's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But those who are saved, listen to this, are going to be generous people. Am I trying to get you to put money in the box? No, I mean generous in all ways. Money, resources, time. (laughs) You know that the Bible even says you're a steward of the gospel? If you're in the family of God, you and I, we are stewards of the gospel. So it ain't just about money. It's about what we're giving out of our lives. Now watch this. He goes to his disciples, read with me, and there was a certain rich man who had a steward. By the way, this is maybe the, if it is a parable, some people don't believe it's a parable, some believe it's just a story about a man, but this is probably one of the most confusing for people stories or parables that Jesus tells. They can't believe this here it comes. There was a certain rich man who had a steward and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be steward. Now watch what this steward does. The steward then says within himself, talks to himself, oh my, what am I going to do? What shall I do? For my master is taking this stewardship away from me. I can't dig. I'm ashamed to beg. In other words, I can't do anything else. I know nothing else but being the steward. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Now he tells you how he's going to go about doing that. He's worried because he doesn't know anything else but being a house steward. A house steward is entrusted all the things of the house, including the money. How do you think they buy groceries? The steward arranges it. He's got access to the funds, everything. He pays things. He does things. He runs the house. He calls the pool guy. That's a joke. He calls the roofing contractor. He does everything for the master at his house. That's what this is. Watch. Then the steward said within himself, oh, wait a minute, so he called, verse 5, every one of his master's debtors. So he calls up the people that owe his master in anticipation of what's about to happen in the future. That's important. He knows he's about ready to get canned. You see that? So he goes, oh, wait a minute, let me call my master's debtors. So he calls one of them, and he says to the first one, hey, how much do you owe my master? And he said, you want to owe 100 measures of oil. Now, that's a whole bunch of oil. 900 gallons or so, some people say. So he said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, quickly, do this, and write 50 on it. In other words, I, as the steward, am reducing your bill by whatever it costs for 100 to whatever it costs for 50. Master doesn't really know about that. But I'm getting fired anyway. You see it? Then he goes and he says to him, or to another, well, how much do you owe? And he says, well, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commend. listen, the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light, you shake, you're, you're scratching your head. You're like, how in the world could Jesus be telling this story or parable? Keep going. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. By the way, folks, we think money's the end all and the be all. Don't it don't lie? You think that. I remember one time, first time maybe I ever came to Pittsburgh, I was in law school, and I took the bus from Columbus, Ohio to here, and some guy ripped me off from 20 bucks. 20 bucks, folks. Now, I get it. 20 bucks is a lot to me, but really, 20 bucks isn't that much of money. I was sick. I was going to Europe, three weeks in Europe. It bothered me every single day. 20 bucks. You ever had somebody rip you off from money, how it makes you feel? Well, Jesus here says money's the least. We think money's the most. He say, he who is faithful in what is least, listen, money's no big deal to the Lord. Why? Because the Lord owns it all, by the way. He has it all. Everything you have and everything I have, it's from the Lord. Well, anyway... He calls it the least, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been made faithful in the unrighteous uh, mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now listen, Jesus uses a bad man to illustrate a spiritual point. Jesus isn't agreeing with the (laughs) the dishonesty and the way this guy uh, does his work. He is pointing something out here, and it's in verse 8. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Here's what he's saying. You folks, we, all of us, go about our life really never thinking about the future eternally. you will go to great lengths, even in your business. look, this guy did it in which you'll do things now so that you know in this uh, you know next month or six months from now, you'll have a great vacation or you have a great retirement, you put 401k money, you're looking on your phone, oh, it went up, oh, it went down. you're scared to death, you're worried. Oh, it went up this year. great, let's vote for this guy. You'll you'll plan, and put away, and be shrewd about your retirement package, and you devote very little time to your eternal life, or we devote very little time to our eternal life, the things that really matter. What he's doing here is, he's not saying, I agree with what this guy does, but by a way in which... The Jews would write certain things like poetry and literature. He's making a contrast. He's saying, that guy is not very uh, honest, and he thought about the future in his business in this generation. Why won't you people do it? That's what he's saying here. And I wasn't pointing at you. I was pointing at me first. <laughs> but he's saying to the crowd, that he, why won't you do it? See, he wants his disciples to invest in eternity, And so the things that happen now, as you know if you've been with a financial planner, the things that you do now, they always say, if you do it now, at the end you're going to have this much money and they give you those charts and your eyes are bulging out like, whoa, look at that. He says, if you'll do things now, it's going to reverberate into eternity. I mean... The Lord is just telling us here that there's this stuff called unrighteous mammon. That's another way of saying money. And it's very slippery and subtle because it can lead you in a really bad or re- lead you to a really bad place. It's not money that's at issue, the Bible tells us. It's the love of money. But at least two places in the Bible, it's called filthy lucre. It's it's something that brings out the worst in people oftentimes. Amen? You ever had a neighbor dispute over the property line? You know, 300 bucks are at issue because they're one centimeter over. I'm going to pay the lawyers to get that person because they're getting it over on me. I mean, this happens, folks. It was one of my first cases as a lawyer. The only people that made out on that deal was us. They fought, and they fought over something so stupid, and we were happy to oblige. So what he's saying here is, why don't you be as shrewd about your eternal life as this guy is? And then he goes on, and he says a really interesting thing in verse 9. I say to you, make friends for yourselves. You go, wait a minute, that's a kind of a weird phrase. But what was the shrewd steward doing? The shrewd steward was making friends with people of the world who would, if he scratched their back, they would scratch his back when he got, at, when he got fired. Do you catch it? And he'd be able to go in their house, and he wouldn't have to dig and beg. And Jesus says, no, you're going to make friends, but you're going to make friends a different way. So here's what you do. Make friends for yourselves by your unrighteous manner. mammon. What, does, what is he saying? He's saying, be careful. Money can do weird things to people, including you, disciples. But you are to make friends with unrighteous manner or, or mammon. What does that mean? It means that you are to have the right perspective on money. You're to have the right perspective on money. First of all, let, let's think about this. This is an unjust steward. You and I are supposed to be stewards of what God has given us. And the first thing I think you need to know and recognize is that everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. The Bible tells us in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. 1 Corinthians 6:19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? For those who are in Christ, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. For those who surrender their life to him, he comes and lives in your life. You're the temple. And if you're the temple, it says here, uh, you're not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, even you aren't your own anymore. For a Christian, you're a steward, look at this, of your body and your life. What other things are you stewards of in the Bible well you're to use your gifts and abilities that were given to you for his glory and you could receive that in 1 Peter 4:10. as each one has received a gift minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God are you hiding your gifts or not using your gifts well you should be that's what good stewards do in the Bible how about this you're stewards of the clock. <laughs> Are you a waster of time? Do you spend hours and hours upon Facebook and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll? And, scroll? and you know, you don't just Facebook, Instagram, because here the Bible says that you're to walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. You're to redeem the time, Ephesians tells us. You're to invest the time, not waste it. Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I referred to it earlier. You're a steward of the gospel. God has entrusted to you, I can't believe this, but he has, the good news of Jesus Christ. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 tells us, even so we speak not as pleasing men, pastors, churches. We're not here to please men. I'm not here to tickle your ears or my ears. I'm to tell you what the Bible says in the Bible. Take from the Bible and tell you what it says. And then let the chips fall where they may, so to speak. Let the Lord deal with it. We're not to be tickling your ears. We're not to be watering down anything. It's God who tests our hearts. And here's the amazing thing about stewards in the Bible. You're not judged on your stewardship based on what the world considers success. Oh, my goodness, I'm on TV now. I wrote a book. Famous pastors like my Instagram posts. Mm-mm. that's not what the Bible says. For me or for any of us as stewards, the Bible says if you've been faithful, you've been successful. That's 1 Corinthians 4.2. So think about it, just think about it. Let's take the donut ministry, the chair setting up ministry, the toilet ministry, cleaning. If God has asked you to do the cleaning, just keep doing it. If God has called you to do the chairs, just keep doing it. If God has called you to do the donuts, just keep doing it. Here's what happens, though. Oh, you know, here, I'll do it. And then, you know, every fourth day, every, you know, fourth time or third time or second time, we see a kind of a languishing away. But see, faithfulness is how we're judged as successful, not whether there's numbers or a big show or many people tell you congratulations because you're doing a great job. No, it's you're worshiping under the Lord and you're just faithful. That's what stewards of the Bible are. Now, I told you that because I know you're worried about that 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 weird steward guy who was really dishonest. He's not a picture of what we're to be as stewards, but the Bible tells us in several places how we're to act as stewards once we come into the family of God. Got it? And we should be, very, very interested, pour as much into our eternal life as we would to anything like a 401k. And what we are to do is to make friends for ourselves through our resources. Do you ever think, okay, whatever the Lord has called you to give on a consistent basis, let's talk about that for a second. Giving, tithing, stewardship. In the Old Testament, the tithe was 10% of your first fruits. You didn't give at the end of your check, you gave at the beginning of your check, you gave the first 10% in the Old Testament. And oh, by the way, that wasn't the end of it, that was just the tithe. On top of that was offerings and you had to give certain things, and some people have said if you added it up, you gave 23%, but I hate to even give the numbers because you're all gonna come up and ask me, do I give gross, do I give net, do I give 10%, what do I do now? Listen, here's what we are, we're under grace. We're in the New Testament and we're under grace, but the Bible does call us, it seems to say, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 16, Where we get principles for giving. And here we've talked about this several times. Here's the principles for giving you ought to be a graceful giver, very delighted in giving because you recognize that all of it's for the Lord. I hesitate to give you any percentage because it's all the Lord. It's not, should I give 10%. You ought to be thinking, how much should I hold back? The opposite of 10%. You understand what I'm saying? Because it's all his. I just want to give it back to him for his purposes and his glory. But we need to be, the Bible tells us, go read in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, prayerful, consistent givers. That's what the Bible says. For those who are filled up with the Lord, who've come to know the Lord, we're consistent, filled up givers. Why? Hey, folks, you notice this tendency in your flesh? Do you notice this? I'm greedy in my flesh. Like, if you give me like a sports magazine of clothes or, or shoes, stuff that I like, right? When I get the magazine, I ain't thinking what I get for Jan. Now, oh, you looking at me funny, but my first inclination is, wow, I wonder what I could pick out of this thing, and you're lying if you don't think the same, <clears throat> right? Your first inclination is, wow, I would really love that, wow, I would really love this thing, right? Of course, by the Spirit, we think of others, but that's a different story, right? And what are we doing when we're giving? It's an amazing thing. The Lord fills us up. He asks us to be consistent givers. It's almost as if every week or if every month, whatever time you give, however you've set that up, it's almost like, wow, to be a delightful giver, I'm just giving away my grubbiness. (laughs) The Lord's just doing something amazing in me because I'm a delightful giver because I know it's going to go to good use to spread the gospel. Watch, folks. To make friends. What do you mean? Well, hopefully, if we're in Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are that. I'm kidding around. And I want you to know, I've been telling you this for about the last month. There's people we give to in Hungary. Not Hungary with an A in there, Hungary, who spread the gospel. There's people we give to in Indonesia. You can go down on the wall down here and look, that spread the gospel. We give to the pro-life group here in Pittsburgh because every child deserves to live, and they're going to grow up and be a trophy of God's grace for the gospel. Oh, you know something that's not down on that wall we should put down on the wall? We give to the Blue Letter Bible. You say, what, what? The Blue Letter Bible. I just looked this morning. In 2019, the Blue Letter Bible, a Bible app that is devoted to people getting the word of God. Healthy people ingest the word of God and then go out and share it with others. Listen to this. In 2019, I didn't get the 2020 stats, 2.2 million people per day were on the Blue Letter Bible app. So we give to the Blue Letter Bible too. be because it's the power of God unto salvation, the good news is. Faith comes by hearing, but hearing what? The Word of God. So we give to the Blue Letter Bible. And there's other things. Now, why do I tell you all that? Not to pat us on the back. I want you to A, to know what you're giving as a, a fellowship, but here's what I want you to know somebody's gonna get saved by the Blue Letter Bible, and you're gonna meet them in heaven. They're gonna be standing there, and you're gonna know somehow, I'm convinced wow, you smiled at me in the diner, and you gave me 10 bucks, and you gave me the Calvary Chapel magazine, and you shared the gospel with me, and I blew you off. But about five years later, the Lord just brought that back to my attention, and somehow I got saved. I don't know. I'm making something up. And that person is going to be standing there in heaven waiting for you. Because he who is, or excuse me, and I say to you, make friends for yourselves. How do you make friends? You share the gospel. You support things that share the gospel. You love people by feeding them and sharing the gospel. And that's hopefully what we're doing. And you're putting, and then listen, you, you got narrow way ministries. Folks, I, I looked on the CDC today. Depression, suicide, anxiety, it's never been higher in our country. Kids are killing themselves at an alarming rate. What do we want to do? We want to share with them the love of God and the stability of God. And and we want to make friends, so to speak. We want to bring people into a relationship, young people into a relationship with God and make them disciple makers so that they can go out and disciple people. You see that? And someday, we're all going to be together in heaven, eternal life. And there's going to be some kid that is standing there. And you guys and we are going to celebrate. They're going to be friends because you people and we and us made friends by unrighteous mammon, by money. Invest yourself he's saying, in the things of the kingdom and think as much about that as you do if you're at your 401k or material things. You get it? Then he goes on and he says, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust, I read that to you. He's saying that money to the Lord is not that big a deal. To us, it's a great big deal. We're wondering, are we gonna get this? Are we gonna get that? But he's saying this great indicator of a servant or a steward who I call, the Lord says, is one who can handle money the right way. And I gave you some of the principles. For more, keep going to 1 Corinthians 16, etc. And think about grace giving, being a hilarious giver. But you must be faithful in that. And we talked about this. How do you know if you're struggling in that area? (laughs) Here's how you know. When God calls you, to give to a certain thing, do your fingers kind of go like that. But I'm saying when God calls you to. Or are you able to release it knowing that it's all his anyway? By the way, giving has to be or needs to be sacrificial. You could give a million bucks and it not be sacrificial. You could give five bucks and it be amazingly sacrificial. He says... If You've got to be faithful in these things. How could you go on to more ministry if you can't even handle money? If you have the wrong perspective of money, how can we move you on, the Lord says? How can I move you on into deeper, richer ministries or, I don't know, uh, more broad ministries unless you're faithful with unrighteous mammon? So you need to be faithful. We need to be ones who are investing now for our, uh, the, the eternal kingdom. And keep investing and keep investing and keep investing. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? Seems to be referring there to God. How could you be faithful in the things of God if you can't even handle your money, which is not your money anyway? <laughs> and then he goes on and he just lays it right out there. You can't serve two masters, for either you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money." God is always calling us to a one-track mind. Just that you would know him, just know him. You see, if you just, your whole life would be set up to know him more and more. Your whole life, you'd move everything out of your schedule. Now, I'm not talking about you wouldn't go on a vacation or anything or, or have a hobby, but, you know, hobbies and vacations tend to grow in a person's life to the point where the hobby becomes more important than God himself or the vacation or the Nike shoes or, you know, the coolest new outfit or the handbag or the new car or whatever it is, the new house. Well, listen to this. So he goes now. Listen, dinner conversation, okay? I've provoked them in a good way, my disciples. They're going to need to know this because when they're out and about, they're going to need to know the principles of unrighteous manner, and we're to make friends with money. People who are going to be in heaven with us, spend it on that. Discipleship making, evangelism, feeding and loving in the name of the gospel, find ministries that are responsible and caring and gospel-centered and give, right? And then he says now to the Pharisees in verse 14, who were lovers of money. (laughs) Bible pulls no punches. They measured life, many of them, not all of them, they measured life by wealth. So they would say things like this. Oh, you live in that area of town? (laughs) Hmm. They would say, you must be really spiritual. Wait a minute, you live on that side of the tracks? Wow, what's wrong with your spiritual life? That's the thinking they had here. So the Pharisees who were lovers of money, they measured their life or spiritual lives by wealth. Also, by the way, time out. If you're rich in this life, it doesn't mean you can't have eternal life. Let's just get that clear. And if you're poor in this life, it doesn't mean you can't have eternal life. He's just saying, if your money and your possessions and your wealth dominate you, and you could be poor and they could dominate you because you could be wishing for them so bad that you make them an idol. Either way, you make them an idol, and that's wrong. But if you're using your wealth for God's glory, totally great. He's just saying here, be careful. Money is unrighteous and deceptive and uh, trick you into thinking you're doing the right thing and you'll be uh, lusting after it all the time. Just be careful, he's saying. Everybody get that? Here he comes and he says, now Pharisees who are lovers of money heard these things and they derided him. That means stuck their nose up to Jesus. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, right. A principle such as using my money to Come on, these people are sinners and tax collectors, Jesus. And they uh, stick their nose up to him. And he says to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men. You could go back in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. Guess what they love to do? They loved, like like if if, if their giving box was in the back, you know, it's like that thing. Here's what they love to do. Hey, everybody, look what I'm putting in the thing. Look how big my envelope is. Watch me. They like doing that. You know what they also like to do? They like to go out on the corner in showy garments and wail and pray so everybody would think they were pious and religious. He said, you like to justify yourselves before men. God knows your hearts. You understand that? God knows our hearts. God knows what's going on inside. For what is highly esteemed among men, look at this, is an abomination in the sight of God money is not that big a deal folks to god of course you say well he has it all he's the owner of it all yes but he's saying to us as disciples that's at the bottom of our list should you be responsible and good with your money yes but you shouldn't be devoted to it as you make it an idol okay here then he goes on to this the law and the prophets were until john who's he talking about there john the baptist his Uh, his relative there, his John the Baptist, who paved the way for him. The law and the prophets were until John, and since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than one little tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her is divorced from her husband commits adultery. Now, this is kind of a strange thing. What is he saying? He's saying you like to justify your hearts before men. The real justification comes by the blood of Jesus Christ, and for those who are really justified, you don't need to be showy and tell people what you're doing because you're serving the Lord and just you and the Lord doing it. I don't need people to see me put money in the box. I don't need people to see me come here, you know, at a certain time and put the chairs up. No, it's for the Lord. He says the law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. He paved the way for the Messiah, who's Jesus, who's talking. And since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. Now, this is a verse in the Bible that if you read uh, 15 different opinions on this, you get 15 different answers. I like what uh, Halley says on this. He says this. uh, It's difficult to see the connection in this verse about the law and divorce. Perhaps Jesus meant this. Since the gospel was influencing the people so profoundly among the people who were sinners, who recognized the need, perhaps the gospel was influencing the people so profoundly, it was harder for Pharisees to justify their hypocritical teachings. While they professed to be guardians of the law, they ignored the teachings of the law about divorce, allowing divorce for any trivial cause. Maybe that's what he's saying. He's seeing the uh, this the gospel being preached and people responding, and then Jesus points out, you know, you're really hypocritical on that thing called divorce. Now, why were they hypocritical? There's a backstory to this. There were a couple major rabbis of the time, and one rabbi would say, and he had a whole bunch of followers. Here's why you could get divorced under God's law for anything that's un, for any uncleanness. And he interpreted uncleanness as adultery. There was another rabbi who was way more liberal, kind of like the U.S. courts, state court system. It said, no, we can, quote unquote, this is how they said it, don't get mad at me. If you're going to get mad, don't get mad at me. Put away our wives for any reason. And they would say in that teaching that if, honestly, not making a joke, if the wife made the food improperly and that upset the husband, you could put them away for divorce. And that's what they were teaching. And Jesus was saying here, hold on a minute. You walk around and you tell everybody else what to do and you act all pious and holy and you draw crowds to give and you draw grow- uh, crowds to, uh, to pray and you draw crowds to see how holy you are because you wear the right vestments and you're teaching this by the way, he wasn't giving a theology here of marriage. That comes in other parts of the Bible. But what he was saying was, he was making the point is, you're, you guys justify and change and switch. And really what matters, here, this is important for you right here. Take this from it. What really matters is what the Word of God says. So he goes right into this story. There was this certain rich man... And here's where it's going to come into everybody's front porch. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple. I'm not rich, but I wore purple. And fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. This isn't the same Lazarus who was brother of Mary and Martha, different Lazarus. Who was full of sores. The Greek there is these are oozing, pussy things. Gross. Who was laid at his gate. Do you see that? He was laying at the gate of the rich person. He couldn't move. He was disabled. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which felled from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Right? Right? This was a helpless dude. So it was that the beggar died. What happened to the beggar? It was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off. And then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those... Uh, from there passed to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he could testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. But he said to them, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So he's telling us a story to tell us that if you focus on riches in your life and you got to be honest about this if you've made riches an idol if you've if you're a follower of riches money possessions things if all you're devoting all your life to the material and not to the eternal listen you're in danger of finding yourself in Hades if People who live for the material get their reward one time. And it's at the time that they get their reward, the money, while they live here on earth. But if you don't invest, if you're not a person who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ and moves on, listen, you're going to be carried away (laughs) to a place called Hades. For those who are in Christ, you're carried away to God. Now, let's talk about this. We're speaking of this place called Abraham's bosom. That seems to have been a place. Do I believe it's a literal place? I believe the answer is yes. Hades, by the way, isn't what you know as hell. Hades is a temporary holding place that's definitely not purgatory of the dead by the way in the old testament it had a gulf fixed between the old chamber or the hades chamber and the chamber where people who were justified and saved went to that place was called abraham's bosom so you catching what i'm saying in the old testament the bible tells us genesis 15 you were saved By believing what you know. And it was accounted unto righteousness. Abraham, here he is in the chamber that's called Abraham's bosom. Other people would call it paradise. Now, just stay with me for a minute, because this is important. A place called Hades, though. A separate compartment where the rich man went. He decided that he wanted to go after riches his whole life and things his whole life. And he got his reward in this life, but he went to a place called Hades. The place of the dead. That's what that means. And he was in torment. You've seen it. You can read it. He was in torment and he knew things. Did you notice that? It definitely is not soul sleep. Because he knew and he regretted, and he was scared for his family, and he was in torment, as we've seen. Just dip your finger in the water and bring it to me. This is torment. And it was dark. <laughs> Sound like an upbeat message, doesn't it? But there was this other place where Abraham was. It was affixed some way. There was this gulf, this place between And some people believe, and I happen to be one of them, that when Jesus died on the cross, his body went in the grave, but he, whether you want to say his soul or spirit, went and set the captives free, listen to me, in Abraham's bosom. You can see that in Ephesians, and you could see that in the book of Peter. And he emptied out that chamber that's called Abraham's bosom. So, for a believer on this side of the cross, when they die, they don't go to Abraham's bosom. They go to be with the Lord. He said to the thief on the cross, didn't he? I mean, come on, today you're going to be in paradise. You could look at 2 Corinthians 5. There's another place. You could look at Philippians that talks about... You know, when we leave this life, we go to be in the presence of the Lord. So there's no Abraham's bosom. But listen, there's still Hades. So for the unsaved dead, they go to Hades. And if you'll read, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story, in a future time... As God, or Jesus has come back and he sets his kingdom up here on earth. We believe it's a literal 1,000 year reign. He's going to take Satan and the unbelieving dead and he's going to put them after the great white throne judgment that's found in the book of Revelation. He, you're, he's going to fairly judge people. He's going to put them into a place called the lake of fire or hell. You say, my goodness. My goodness. Is that very loving? You see folks, without choice there's no love. I always give this example. If 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 you and I or if if you guys came to Jan and I's wedding in 1993, I always get that mixed up. And you know, I had my blue tuxedo on, the light blue one with the big ruffles, you know what I'm saying. And she had the old 70s. No, we weren't married in the 70s. And afterward, I'm coming down the thing and we're coming and you're all greeting us and we go, oh man, you guys look so much in love. You look so much in love. Yeah, it's just great. If I whispered over to you and I said, yeah, but I had a pistol under my coat pointed at her. What would you say? Not very much love there. But what's the beauty of marriage, see? What's the beauty of marriage? There's no gun under the pocket. I say this to shock you, but my wife knows where the divorce court is. And so do I. But every day, what are we doing? Even when we're not getting along, we're still choosing. And that's love. That's what's in love. There's this choice in love. You say, well, wait a minute. This isn't very loving that there's a hell. Well, wait a minute. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves. God doesn't send people to hell. You you concerned about your salvation? The message of this chapter is do it now. Surrender your life to Christ. Recognize you're a sinner. Understand that the cross... Jesus at the cross is what paid the penalty for your sin and removed the power over you over sin for those who trust in the cross. And then he died and rose again so that you can have not improved life, but new life. You're a new spiritual creation in Christ. But the reality here is that there is a place called Hades now will be called hell when it transitions into the lake of fire and there's many churches in the world that t- don't even want to mention that because they're worried about offending you and yet Jesus speaks of it at length so the question becomes <laughs> where do you want to go where will you go not where do you want to go where will you go do you know that you're a sinner have you ever broken a commandment well i've broken them all you say well, wait a minute you've murdered somebody yeah i've hated people jesus said if you've hated you've murdered i could just go right down the list don't don't yep 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 violated all of them but the bible says if you've violated any just that much it, just one your boat's sinking. You've missed the glory of God. You've fell below His standard, and the only provision to get you back to God is to uh, trust in His sacrifice, which was His Son Jesus. For those who trust in His sacrifice, Jesus, for their eternal salvation, they do something called repent. You go, man. Well, that's a big word. No, repent is change your mind about who you are and who God is. Because see, many people in the church tell you you're basically a good person. The Bible says, no, you're not. You're a sinner. You're a sinner who needs the grace of God, which means love and action, Jesus Christ, to come and pay the penalty for your sin. And as you repent, you just turn and move towards God and you say, Lord, I recognize this. I'm a sinner, and I need you, Jesus, to bridge the gulf between me and God, to pave my way back, to reconcile us back. See, I'm going to leave you with this. You know what real friends do? (laughs) They tell you the truth. Real friends don't flatter you just to flatter you. Of course, they encourage you and build you up. But, but real friends tell you the truth. And the truth is, friends, there's a place of eternal life with the Lord, and there's a place called Hades or hell. And we're going to spend it in our eternity in one of those two places. That's the truth. And when we come as disciples of Jesus Christ and invest all that we are so that more people would come to know him for eternal, for eternity, in eternal life. See, see, that's dying to yourself. That's what the Lord calls a disciple to, is to serve others, die to self for the benefit of others. <laughs> wow. And so as we close here, I'm not sure if I've gone over, so I'm not sure if the... Uh, folks are going to come and worship or not. Maybe somebody give me the high sign. Are you going to do it? Okay. High sign is yes. Okay. I'm going to pray now. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, as you pray this prayer, just ask him, have him come into your life. If you're far away from the Lord, ask him, tell him you want to come back. And if that happens for you today, if something, if you're doing business with the Lord or you want to talk about what we've talked about, come up after and we'll have people up here and they'll pray with you and we'll talk to you about it, okay? Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you, Lord, that um, your word is so effective and powerful. If We'll just dig into it. And I just ask, Lord, that you would Bring salvation to some who are sitting in here. Maybe you've never heard this and are wondering, Lord, I pray by your spirit you'd bring them to a saving knowledge of you, a saving relationship, just like John 6 tells us. Lord, maybe there's some who've wandered away. We're praying just like the sheep or the coin or the prodigal son, as they come back, you meet them. Lord, whatever it is, help us to be great investors in the kingdom by being humble abiders. (laughs) In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.